0: Go find a meaningful problem. Find a meaningful problem where you're actually solving a problem for somebody. And ask yourself, is there more than one person in the world that has the problem? And if the answer is yes, a lot of people do, and it is meaningful, then I think you should go full force and do it.
1: This is Decoding Digital, and I'm your host, Daniel Sachs. Every episode, we hear from someone who is working to build something new in the digital economy. Each guest has a unique perspective to share, and together we work to understand or decode a trend that is shaping our digital world.
2: Every founder's journey is different, but for Michelle Zatlin, it involved a U-Haul, a cross-country drive with her co-founder's mom at the wheel, and a secret called Project Honeypot. After arriving in Silicon Valley, Michelle and her team would turn that codename to Cloudflare, a billion-dollar unicorn company with a successful IPO in 2019. From day one, Cloudflare has been recognized as one of the world's most inventive technology companies and has received numerous honors, including being named to CNBC's Disruptor 50 list, Wall Street Journal's Most Innovative Internet Technology Companies list two years in a row, and being selected as a technology pioneer by the World Economic Forum. By any measure, Michelle is a tech industry veteran and has a wealth of experience and insights to share. And today, Michelle will be joining us to decode digital security. Let's decode.
1: Michelle, we're so excited to have you on the show today. So let's jump in. I know uh, that uh, you, sh- you shared that you want to be a doctor when you were younger, and clearly you're on somewhat of a different path. Can you tell me about how that uh, evolved?
0: Definitely. Well, thanks so much for having me today. Uh, yes, I did want to be a doctor when I was in high school. And even just the first part of college or university, that's that's uh, really what I was all geared, kind of set all my sights on that. And at some point, I kind of had aha, aha. Like, I assumed I want to be a doctor, but I'd never really tried anything else. And so instead of going straight to medical school after college, I said, hey, I'm going to go work for a couple of years. And what ended up happening was the reasons why I wanted to be a doctor was because I wanted to help people and and really felt like I could play a role in doing that. I ended up finding in in the world of technology and feeling like you can work with a really group of smart, passionate people, solve problems. But instead of one at a time, you really solve problems for people around the world. And so I ended up finding the same characteristics of what I saw in medicine, in the world of business and technology. And next thing I knew, I was I was full on pursuing my business career and and eventually going to look to to round out my education by adding an MBA.
1: And then how did you come to uh, founding Cloudflare?
0: Sure. Well, so I it was due my MBA and I happened to go to Harvard Business School. And I was on a school trip in the Silicon Valley, and it was a week long professor-led trip. And it was this amazing experience where there was a group of us, 40 of us, who came out to to the Bay Area and During that week, it was January of 2009. So it was right after the financial crisis of 08. And we we were here for the week and we got to meet all these entrepreneurs, small small companies, at large companies. We met these investors, like really prominent investors. It was just this amazing week-long experience. And it was Wednesday of that week. And we were at a, a startup accelerator down in Sunnyvale called Plug and Play, listening to a lot of early stage founders pitch their idea at this point, we'd been here for three days. And I remember I walked out of that, that last um, startup pitch into the hallway. And I said to a classmate who was on the trip to me, and I said, wow, if that guy can start a company, so could I. And to my friend's credit, he said, or my colleague's credit, he said, of course you could. And I just was this kind of moment where it demystified this idea of the Silicon Valley and what it meant to build a technology company or a tech giant or be a success story as a tech founder. And I just had kind of demystified being like, these people are no different than me. You know, you're passionate, you're smart, you want to pursue something you can. And so that's what we were in the hallway discussing. And basically my classmate had always talked about, his name was Matthew Prince. And Matthew Prince always was really proud of something he had started for the last six years prior to business school called Project Honeypot. And Project Honeypot was an open source project that tracks web spammers online And in that hallway conversation, we started to banter back and forth. And basically out of that conversation, we decided, hey, let's start a school project to see if there was a business idea here. And that business idea literally turned into Cloudflare. And I guess the rest is history, they say. So tell everyone about Cloudflare. Sure. So Cloudflare is a service that helps protect any internet property, whether your website, an app, small or large from cyber attacks online. We help make sure that every internet property is fast around the world we help provide reliability services to those inter-properties. So if you think about Cloudflare, we run a global network that makes the internet faster, safer, and more reliable for any business, large or small. And since that hallway conversation, uh, we've moved out to the Bay Area to give it a go. And today we have over... Uh, 1,300 people at Cloudflare working on this on, on this on behalf of our customers. We have 2.7 million customers around the world and 2.27 million internet properties that we help make fast, safe, and reliable on a daily basis. So it's been pretty amazing to see this idea come to life over the last 10 years.
1: And it's incredible to see how, how things have evolved. And one of the things we're focused on here with Decoding Digital is really understanding um, as uh, businesses transform digitally, what are the impacts? And there's always questions around security, data residency, and how to safely and securely bring your business online and digital. From the exposure you have across the world, what are things that business owners need to be thinking about that could be potential concerns or pitfalls around security?
0: Sometimes I say that I feel like security did itself a disfavor (laughs) for the first 10 or 15 years of existence, where Security was a topic that kind of got put into a corner for the information security or the security experts or the IT professionals to deal with. And it wasn't really on the business agenda. I think that's actually changing and, and needs to continue to change. I kind of juxtapose that with something like artificial intelligence. I actually think that's not relegated to a couple of people in the company. I think it's much more top of mind at the, at the senior executive level. And I, I think that's good. That's a positive um development. And so With security, cybersecurity, I mean, the truth is, is whether you're a small business, you're a nonprofit, or you're a large organization, there are all sorts of attacks online. And just even if I try and quantify it, we are one service provider. And of course, we have a lot of customers, you know, 2.7 million, but every day, our technology stops 45 billion cyber attacks on behalf of our customers. And that's every day. And we're just one provider. So it's real. So if you're a business owner, and you feel like, Oh my God! I'm always under attack. The answer is like yes. There's a lot of malicious bots and people trying to do malicious things online. But the answer is not. Oh my goodness! There's what can I do? I mean, the truth is today the solutions are much better than they were five years ago, and they'll continue to get really, really um, much better. And so, while there are cyber attacks happen daily, I, I think that the good news, and I'm a very half glass full person. I am definitely an optimist. Is It's not like the Mission Impossible movies we watch online. It's not, or the James Bond, where it's these really sophisticated attacks. And it's not that, actually. If you are a business owner and you do the ABCs of putting some security solutions in place, you will be, for the most part, in the top quartile of your peer group of being protected. And like a lot of those solutions are easier to use and a lot more cost-effective today and very effective. And so the cloud, cloud computing has made cybersecurity a much easier problem to solve on behalf of customers. And again, we're one company where we use technology to be able to help protect our customers from all these attacks and it works pretty well.
1: One of the questions we get a lot is around security brands. And I know in the on-premise world, there were brands like McAfee and Symantec, you'd buy them off the shelf and people would install them and think that that's security. But tell us about how things shifted in the cloud and maybe you could go into the ABCs that uh, you're recommending.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, I think that cybersecurity is a really big industry. There's lots of different pieces to it, but and and it can and businesses need to be thinking about it at all levels of their infrastructure. But let's just take a website, like a digital presence, where I want to be able to go look up, you know, appdirect.com, and to see, okay, what does this company do? How do I get in touch with them? And almost many businesses, as I say, they're like, oh, I have that. I have a website, and you know, might get a little traffic, might get a lot, and. The step one is just making sure that is always online and not subject to attack. Because A, if it is taken down, it's embarrassing and it can be a brand damaging event. And at the worst case, it can cause real damage to to a business, especially if they're taking payments through that or doing sales through that. And so the the first step of a digital presence, especially if you have a um, public facing website that you use for marketing purposes... Is just put a simple firewall in front, like a, a web application firewall. It, it, it kind of becomes, the best way I could describe it, it's like a bodyguard for your online storefront, right? And that bodyguard is saying, hey, you're a legitimate visitor, come on in. Well, right this way. And if you're not, if it's kind of like, someone hey, no, 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 you, you are not legitimate. You have, you're a threat to this business. No, you, you got to stay out. And, and a cloud-based web application firewall can absolutely do that for you. I mean, that is a service, one of the services Cloudflare offers. And again, I would say that is part of the ABC. The other other one that is part of the ABC is this idea of, it's a word that comes up and I'm not sure everyone, like sometimes I think it sounds scarier than it is. It's called a DDoS attack, like a denial of service attack. And the best way to describe that is if all of a sudden you have way more traffic coming to this public facing website than than your website can handle. So Let's take a digital world world example. Let's say you are going to a bank and you really need to take some money out of the bank at the ATM. And a physical example of this could be, well, somebody goes and organizes 500 people to stand in line at the ATM in front of you. And none of those 500 people are really taking any money out of the ATM. And so you are back of the line. and You're like, I need money, but I got 500 people ahead of me. And I'm sure none of these are legitimate customers. If they're legitimate customers, I might be like a little bit more... um, okay with it, but none of these people are legitimate. They're not taking money out. Like, can I cut to the front of the line? And so that's the same sort of thing. It's a denial service. It's somebody taking up all the resources of either that ATM in a physical world or, or online. And so that is a type of attack that often makes the front page of the newspaper because it become means you're often offline. It's a very violating experience as a business. You think, how can somebody take me offline? I need to be there for my customers or our clients or our employees. And so the, really the answer to that before used to be very hard to solve, but now cloud-based DDoS services have basically solved this problem and made it go away. And again, I can say this because that's one of the things that Cloudflare does, and we do it extremely well, where you put Cloudflare in front of that website and you will never get taken off by DDoS. Our pipes are bigger than the the malicious actors pipes and so they just can never they can never cut off access to the legitimate users. So that's really something that didn't exist 10 years ago that our team has been able to build and make it easier kind of a problem that used to be a big problem for businesses go away. And so if you're a business and it's like, "Well, I don't have any DDoS solution." Well, go find one and again, they don't cost that much anymore. The pricing is really um, attractive, and they're really easy to scale. And, and all of a sudden, like that, you can just, it's a problem that you can kind of say, okay, I feel like I'm protected well against that one.
1: So what happens when things do go wrong in this era? Obviously, there's some bigger companies when there's a hack or when there's an attack, it makes the front ca- page of the newspaper. But let's say you're a small or medium business. What do you do? Where do you start to, to actually get protected or to fix what happened?
0: You know, this is one, back to my what I said earlier about how I feel like security did, did itself a disservice for a long time. Where, I mean, for a lot of times when that used to happen, businesses didn't want to tell anybody because they are really worried that customers would stop trusting them and all their customers would leave, or that their competitors would use it as a tactic to try and convince those customers to come to them and say, "Oh, that company doesn't know what they're doing." I do think one of the Good things about cybersecurity becoming more of a business agenda, and media covering more of these stories, and and some large companies saying, "Here's what happened. Here's what I'm doing about it," actually means that we actually talk about it. So when you are that small business, you don't have to feel so alone. You can say, "Okay, I've read I've read a little bit more about it, so I know a little bit more than knowing nothing about it." But I do think that you want to talk to your team internally and say. Hey, what happened? What can we do to mitigate what's going on so we can start to diagnose and figure out where the next best steps are? So step one is to mitigate what's going on with your team and saying, okay, what do we do and where are we going? And sometimes you can do that all yourself, which is great. And other times it means reaching out to either providers you're already using or looking for a new provider to come and help. And I think it kind of depends on the situation. There are some examples where you're literally being knocked off by a DDoS attack in those cases, what companies do, they're like, oh my God, let's use our current provider to get back online. If they can't, they go say, let's go find a provider that can get us back on as fast as humanly possible. In another case where it's like, wow, we maybe had a security breach, but we don't know where the door was. We don't know how they got in. That's often a longer lead time. And and so it's more about partnering with a good service provider, either internally or externally to go do that kind of forensic analysis and identifying it, patching it, and going forward. So I think that there's a wide range of of outcomes. Um the other really common one, and this might resonate with you, is there'll be a, a new soft known software vulnerability. Like you're maybe using Microsoft software in your in your environment or Oracle software in your environment. And there is a known vulnerability and they say go patch your servers against this vulnerability. And you know again if you're the ABCs of Security means, okay, great, patch the servers within a relatively quick timeframe, but not every company is doing that, even small, medium-sized businesses. And so that becomes a vulnerability for them. And so in that case, it's like, how do I have a web application firewall who can patch that for me in real time while I go update my servers on my side? So there's lots of different things, but I really think it it starts with having a team internally that you talk about what happens. And in some cases, it also means bringing in outside service providers to help you.
1: And what advice would you give on external communication? You mentioned some of the uh, fear in the industry today about announcing a release, uh, but what are the best practices you've seen in, in driving transparency and customer trust when something does go wrong?
0: What I like to say, is, don't be a turtle. Don't kind of hide under your shell and think it's not going to come out. I, I, I think we've all seen that come back to haunt many companies what I would say is a good gold standard is acknowledgement from the company and senior leadership at the company saying, we had this incident. This is what we know. This is what, who was impacted. This is what we are doing about it. And we take this seriously. That's the best. I think people want authenticity and transparency more now more than ever. Like I think our world is really craving that customers are craving that. And so that's ideal for some companies. That's just not possible. It might be totally counterculture, Like where they're just, we would never do that. And that's just such a far departure. And so I think that's gold standard, but you have to do what fits within your business and what's most natural to to the leader. I think the more authentic, the better, but sweeping it under a rug almost never works anymore. And so it's better for you, okay, assume the news will get out if you have a security incident. Just assume it's going to get out. If it does get out, think about, do you want to control it or do you want someone else to control it? And how that thinks, and I think, and then you got to figure out what's authentic to you. But really, gold standard is someone seeing the company acknowledging it, explaining what what happened, explaining who was impacted, and what we're doing about it. And I understand that there's some companies who just they're like that's just so far of a departure of our company we can't get there, which which is well, that's okay too. But but I do think asking yourself if this became public, how what would we do about that, or how would we react. Or what would be said if it wasn't us telling the story is a, a good question to ask yourself and your team.
1: And do you see any frameworks that are evolving on how you safely communicate something? Like, for example, does it have to be a press release or Twitter? Or is there a more effective communication format?
0: It's probably not a press release. And it's probably not Twitter. I mean, it'd be great if you have a presence on Twitter. That's, again, a way to connect with people one to one. But it might be if you have a, a corporate blog, you might post it there, or you might send an email to your customer base that was impacted. I mean, those are two sorts of places that uh, you could do. I mean, I think that there are some companies, this is just an idea, I'm not saying it's a good one. I mean, there might be some companies who say, well, I have a really close relationship with a reporter. Let's turn our incident into a business case and a learning experience that we can share with other like organizations around the world so it doesn't happen to them. And you imagine working with a reporter to tell the story. And then the story comes out through kind of a piece of journalism. And and again, it's both about diagnosing what went wrong, but also learnings for others to learn like that couldn't be another way. So I think there's, you got to fit toward what your company's already doing. I think what you don't want to do is if you've never blogged in your life as a company, I'm not sure this is where to start. You don't want to start, you know, this is not the place you kind of want to take what you're already doing and lean into that. But you're probably sending emails to your customers, or maybe you're talking to your customers on a daily basis through your to your client-facing team, so maybe it's a, uh, um, phone calls. You got to take how your company is connecting with your with your community and use that it is a good place to start. Got it.
1: And and you talk about bad actors and also how Hollywood gets it wrong. But in the old world, right, it was obvious someone could s- smash the glass of the building and go take files, and that would be theft. And sometimes it would be a random act to steal cash from the drawer, or sometimes it would maybe be a competitor potentially or someone else, but how do these bad actors translate virtually and who gets it right? Or do people have clarity on who they really are?
0: I love analogies too. So for the cybersecurity experts listening to this, give me a little bit of leeway because the in-person online is sometimes the analogies fall short, but you said smashing the windows, um, taking the money out of the drawer. So examples are Attackers will look for poor passwords. They'll they'll be checking password fields where they'll they'll have a list of emails. Emails are fairly easy to guess or find, and they'll check to see password one, two, three. And they have a dictionary of attacks that they'll just write a program, and they'll be able to go through like literally an encyclopedia of, of common passwords and test against that. And you think, well, if I've been using password one, two, three, exclamation mark as my password, and they have my email address. They can then log into something. So, so they're looking for weak passwords. And you know, there's a lot of people around the world. And you think there's a lot of people who have weak passwords. And so it becomes an attack vector. I mentioned the end patch software. There's very few businesses that aren't using software from someone else. And those softwares have vulnerabilities. We know that it's okay as long as you're patching these known all vulnerabilities. But turns out it's just like another to-do on somebody's list of have to go patch that. So if there's a known software vulnerability and it goes unpatched, I mean, the data shows that as soon as a new software vulnerability is out, like attackers start trying to find companies that are using that software who haven't patched it within like 30 minutes. Nobody is patching their servers in 30 minutes. I mean, it's just really fast. So there's like a Okay, how do we drive down? Now, one of the ways to protect against that is using a cloud-based web application firewall that can patch it for you. And then you still have to do the server side, but it you kind of buy yourself some time. So it's kind of so like you still have the cash, but it's in a safe instead of the drawer. And so they they might get through the window and there's nothing in the drawer, but then they go to the safe and it's like, well, they gotta now crack the safe before they can get the cash. It's the same sort of thing. Um There's uh, phishing targets. This one's really common where there are people who make up companies and they try and say, well, I'm going to take one of the employees and send them a link with a malicious, send them an email, spoof it looking like it's coming from the CEO and send them a malicious link and get them to type in credentials that then go lead to some bad action. And this happens. I know many businesses where, especially certain times of the year where they're getting emails saying where somebody on the finance team gets an email saying, hey, can you please wire X number of dollars, $200,000 from this account to that account. And and they send the link. And, you know, so the IT person or the finance person clicks on the link and does a transfer. And it turns out it wasn't actually coming from the CEO. It was somebody who spoofed, they like impersonated the the CEO. It's like someone in your real world example, you have a twin evil brother who comes into the store and does something malicious and then blames it on you. Right. And then if you, what I would say is kind of like a bear website, like if you're, out there, especially if you're low or high profile, but you have a bare website with no DDoS mitigation in front, like then you're just kind of a sitting duck because turns out it's actually really easy or easy for attackers to mount resources to overwhelm most websites fairly easily. Which is why you need a service, some sort of cloud-based service, whether it's Cloudflare or something else, that just sits in front and absorbs all of that, so you never have to see it. And but you need that you need that bodyguard in front. So that your club doesn't get too crowded. And so those are some of the examples that would translate to the digital world.
1: I love that. And the bodyguard analogy. But but what are these bad people, bad actors, thieves, villains, what do they look like? And where are they? And who motivates them?
0: You're a business owner. You're like, who are these people? And they want to really focus on the who. And I'll, I'll give you some examples. And I would say that if I was a business leader in your shoes, that... Oh, that's not really the question to ask your team. I think the, the question to ask your team is, hey, where are we? How Where are the gaps from a security standpoint? And what are the places where and where are we against closing those gaps? Like, I think that's a really uh, a, a good place to start. So here are the types of attackers. Okay. So s- some are the mission impossible. Some are the nation state attackers. That happens online. There are scary nation state attacks that happen. So that that definitely happens. But that's a minority, not the majority. It can be a competitor. It's one of those things where that just is hard to believe, but it's true. In some industries, competitors, it's like such a such a competitive space that it's one of the like tools they use to try and get ahead ahead of each other. And so it's like a competitor launching an attack against their competitor to try and knock them offline. So they're online for those few moments. Some of them are criminals, like and they're literally profiting off this. And so I'll give you an example there. There was a really well-known um online flower company and 4 days before Valentine's Day they get a ransom email saying pay me $25,000 or else I will knock your website offline and it's Valentine's Day is that florist's busiest season they make a lot of money during that time and if you're a florist and this was not a large florist it was a medium-sized florist they paid the $25,000 so their site didn't get knocked offline right and so that's somebody like that's like kind of like a digital criminal well, there's two other groups that I think are less known. So the one, first is there's kind of a group online of hackers where they think that there are some companies who haven't taken security ser- seriously. And so they almost see it as their mission to go find who those are and make examples of them. It's not about financial gain. It's almost more about showing that a large global 2000 company isn't taking security service, almost as a service to all of the c- customers of that company to say this company isn't taking it seriously. So vote with your feet and wallet. And, you know, there have been some cases in the past and, you know, again, um, you know, when the Xbox security breaches happened a few years ago, a lot of people said it was because of those sorts of things like that, that is a group. And again, those people are hackers are hacking in, but they're really doing it to say, this company isn't taking it seriously. And until you take it seriously, we're going to keep trying and finding your vulnerabilities. So you kind of don't want to be on the bad list of the hackers <laughs> because they become this real like, uh, Nuisance for you. You're just like, oh my goodness. Um, and then sometimes it's a group. And there's two other groups. And then and then I'll be done. Sometimes it's a group where, especially if you do anything controversial, and controversial is not what you think it is. I mean, it could be religion. It could be science. Science is controversial. It could be artistic. Can be ar- ar- controversial. It can be human rights is controversial. It could be journalism. Journalism is controversial. You are a journalist reporting on human rights abuses in in maybe a developing country. That is controversial to some people. And so in some cases, the attacker saying, I don't like what you're saying and that that should not be online. I don't agree. And it's almost like, I don't like that. So in the real world, it might be a fist fight, but instead they go say, I don't like what you're doing. And so I, I don't wanna see it. Like it's almost like they're boarding it up. And then the final group, which might scare some parents on the call, it's there's a lot of teenagers that are doing, cause they, they start to fall in love with computers and technology and they start to get the power of, like, oh my goodness, I'm learning a ton. And instead of throwing eggs at houses and running away, which is kind of what happened in, in, when I was in high school, they're kind of throwing eggs online. And those eggs sometimes can get a little bit more powerful than they think. And they think, wow. And, and again, it's just curious teenagers who kind of find themselves with using technology in a pretty powerful world and feeling like, wow, I know a lot and that company knows nothing and look what I did. And sometimes they can really get themselves into trouble going too far with that.
1: And what tangible advice would you have for our listeners, a lot of them being digital heroes, so the people at large organizations that might be in spaces like automotive or manufacturing or more traditional industries that may, like you said, have this IT pro, but majority of the the employees are not digitally savvy. What advice would you give them to start? Who do they speak to? How do they transform within their big company?
0: Yeah. And, I, and the most part is all your, all those businesses, I'm sure have already started, but some might be further along than others. And I, so I think that if I'm a leader in one of those companies, first thing is just acknowledging where are we like, give yourself a grade. Are we, getting F's like we literally never talked about it as an organization or an executive team or are we getting C's because I think that there are differences whether you're failing or whether you're getting a C or a grade of a B or if you're like well yeah actually we're doing pretty good and there's some areas we have to work on and I, I think you just have to acknowledge like where are you where is your readiness as a as an organization and I don't think that again it's not one person's job in the company I really think it's a management team or executive team discussion of like how, where are we? And again, cybersecurity cuts across lots of different teams in lots of different ways. You know, my website's example, the automotive website, because consumer facing, maybe your CMO really cares about that, right? They really care about making sure your website's online versus your, um, you know, your CIO might much more care about, okay, our employees and making sure they're not getting phished. Look, I don't want that email example I gave, the phishing email where someone's sending an email internally and impersonating someone else. That's under the control of the CIO. Or it could be your engineering team shipping the next product that has bugs built into the software. So how are you doing code review to help catch these things? Like it really, cybersecurity is not one person within the organization. It's really across your whole executive team. So the first step is having a conversation and really kind of saying, where are we? And, and again, giving yourself a grade, a letter grade, under 10, just something. And then you start to say, okay, where do we have to start? You can't do everything at once, but where, where are we starting? Again, I think you should start with the ABCs. And there's kind of ABCs on um, public-facing properties and ABCs on internal practices. You start with the ABCs. And once you have the ABCs, the belts and surrenders, surrenders, then you can do all the advanced things. But you got to, if you are not doing the ABCs, it's really the belt, The all the advanced stuff doesn't matter. You're overcomplicating it because you'll get you'll get hung up on one of these small things. So like I see it all the time with these large organizations where they'll, a, a company will do a ton to secure their most prominent internet properties. So like the, if you're an automotive company and it's like a, you're running many brands within that automotive company with many public facing websites and they'll put all the resources to the biggest ones. It makes sense. They're the biggest ones and they, they're they ones who get the most traffic and there'll be some set that they'll say, I don't have money left over to deal with these. And what happens is it's the, it's like the ugly step It's like the, it's like the, the, the problem child over there, the little ones over there, the runts of the pack, that get no attention. One of them gets compromised by like an automated bot that like was not, this is again, not mission. This is not Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible doing it. You know, Hank, like it's just a bot that some high school kid wrote in their basement. And the bot basically can hack into this, you know, take off this, problem child. There was a small child over here. And and all of a sudden, the media story, because that's a very public-facing thing, is not, hey, all their main sites stayed up, and it was just this one obscure site. The story is, lo- enter Global 2000 Automotive Company is offline. And it wasn't their main site, but it's a small site. And if you're now explaining, if you're trying to explain as an executive, oh, well, everything was fine except for these sites, it just sounds like excuses. And so so it's you start with the ABCs, acknowledge where you are, put in the ABCs. And then once you have do that, then you can talk about the phase two. And and again, continue to build in the right people internally, like bring in the DNA internally and evaluating the right external parties to work with. But it it is really interesting that if you can't even have a conversation internally at your executive team, then you haven't done the basics. And then the next step, which is also part of the basics, is bringing in culture internally. So every employee at these companies have some language about it. We all have to become di- better digital citizens. Like that is the world, the world is going that direction. So companies have a responsibility to help their employees be better digital citizens. And one part of being a digital citizen is understanding a little bit about cybersecurity. You don't have to be the expert, but you have to understand a little bit. Just like you need to understand a little bit about personal finance. Like you know, there's a lot of things you got to understand. And there's just, the internet has has introduced a whole new set of tools that all of us as citizens, employees, and business leaders have to become better at. And then you can no longer outsource it to one person in your company. It's just like technology is everywhere. That's why why you have these podcasts.
1: I know, I love it. And I love your concept of digital citizen because it really aligns with what we've seen across our community where we see digital heroes as being people who have the vision, the foresight, the tenacity, the energy to think differently and and, and transition things online and digitally. And that comes with a whole new culture and a new way of operating. And the reality is that would have been in 2009 and a few people operating in the cloud. It's now fairly pervasive, but the speed of which people are digitally transforming, it's almost like you can't keep up with your training on how to be a good digital citizen. And that's when bad things happen. So I would love to hear from Michelle, like what you, you talked about the ABCs of uh, cybersecurity, but what are the ABCs of being a digital citizen and, and how do you think that evolves in the next few years?
0: I mean, being a digital citizen is just, it, it's not a special power. <laughs> like it's not, it's not, and it's not hard and it's just like, okay. And it, it's like, don't fear technology, kind of embrace it and find ways in your life that will make, be- make your life better. And th- the truth is, is it can make your life a lot better. It can make it easier to connect with people. And I think this pandemic that we're currently going through really shows that. I mean, the true heroes of COVID-19, of course, are the medical responders and the first responders. I mean, medical professionals, first responders, they're absolutely the the, the true heroes. But like the trusty sidekick has been the internet. I mean, could imagine if you couldn't do a video call to your loved ones who right right now, you can't see them and, and people are doing lessons online. And you just think about that's all working behind the scenes and technology is making you feel connected to somebody even when you physically can't see them. So, so it's don't fear technology, embrace it and find ways in your life that you can make it better. And so whether it's, oh, instead of making a phone call, maybe I'll make a video call so I can see someone and can see their facial reactions. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh, wow, that was a different experience than just hearing your voice, for example. Or, or maybe it's um, the way you've been doing a lot by pen and paper, but it's hard to share with somebody a list maybe try a, a digital list and sharing it and, and and seeing like co-editing something and being like the spark of joy of like, wow, that's way better. I'm not saying you have to be full techie all the time, but just find, like lean in and embrace it and just say, this is not going away. The technology is not going away. It's not a fad. It is here to stay. It's gonna to continue to accelerate. And that doesn't mean you have to be the first to try everything, but I, I do think a digital citizen is willing to find the places where they are willing really to embrace technology. and That doesn't have to be in everything. There's some things, I mean, I work in the industry and there's many things where I still prefer the analog, but there's um, find the places where it does work for you. And then talk about that with your friends because they'll be like, Oh, wow. And it's, it's almost like recipes you exchange in person when you meet up with folks or, or your new favorite movie or whatnot, Talk about, hey, I've been doing it this way and it's amazing how much easier this is or whatnot and, and make it almost the topic of the conversation. And, and that helps spread it among your friend groups and they'll do that. And it, and again, we it's almost like all tides rise. And I think the more that all tides rise, the the less scary it becomes, the more of like finding the, the happy good stories. And we need more happy good stories.
1: <laughs> we definitely do. And speaking of that, you're an inspiration to so many having been in that you know, plug and play room and saying, I I can be an entrepreneur too, and then creating a company, taking it public, impacting as many businesses as you've done and really safeguarding people from, you know, potentially terrible events. It's, It's incredible what you've done and accomplished. What advice would you have for, you know, someone in your shoes?
0: You know, one of the things that I like to say is go find a meaningful problem. Like if you find a meaningful problem that actually will impact people, and this kind of goes back to where we started being a doctor find a meaningful problem where you're actually solving a problem for somebody and ask yourself, is there more than one person in the world that has the problem? And if the answer is yes, a lot of people do, and it is meaningful, then I think you should go full force and do it. It's an incredible experience. I don't think you should ever do it just because you want to be an entrepreneur. And I definitely don't think you should do it if you don't have a meaningful problem. Like it really starts with find a meaningful problem that you're proud to work on and, and then go run at it as fast as you possibly can, because you will meet incredible people along the way. You will go execute on this, solving this meaningful problem, which means you're going to meet customers or people or partners around the world who say, oh my God, you changed my life because of this in this way. And that will fuel you to keep going. And so that's what I say. Go find a meaningful problem and, and then assemble the team to go do it. You make it sound easy. But again, I'm a half-class full person. It is a lot of work. And that's why I say start, find a meaningful problem because I, it's a lot of work starting a company and, you know, especially the first four years. I mean, it's always a lot of work and we're 10 years in, but like the first four years, it's a lot because, you know, you think hiring your first couple of people to come join you is hard. You got to fund it. You usually got to find some way to fund this. You got to get your first customers. You got to build what you say you're building. There's so many things. But try getting employee number thirty to come join, or fifty to come join. It's like why would they join you versus I don't know AppDirect, which is already a success story, and I can work with smart people, and you know you're not going out of business tomorrow. And it's it's so hard. And so one of the ways to make it a little bit easier is if you were solving a meaningful problem for a lot of people. It's all of a sudden you have customers telling you things that I heard early on were. I remember, let me tell you the story. I I remember early on when we were back at the campus of Harvard Business School, when we were working on this as a business plan, and we did a survey to people, to, to these small businesses that you mentioned, actually. It was just to small businesses, not the global 2000s, to small businesses. And I sort of, I, as a good business student does, I sent a survey saying, how much do you care about, how big of a problem is cybersecurity for you? And I had like, you know, quantitative where you can like mark it. But then I had open text boxes so people could also kind of just leave comments. And and the answers were things like this. Uh, web spammers are the scourge of the internet. They are criminals and should be locked up. Web spammers make me believe in the death penalty. And so they were just these very strong statements that you're just like, wow, there's a problem here. So that was the first part. The second part of the survey said, okay, what What do you do to protect yourself against it? And what was really clear was these small businesses had no good solution. They all had homegrown solutions that were kind of like uh, duct tape that they had done. They hired an IT consultant to do it, but they all felt very vulnerable and exposed. And so we said, wow, there's clearly a problem here. Can we use technology to create the solution and it turns out there's many millions of small businesses around the world. And then we kind of had the end developers around the world trying to build the next big companies. And then we said, well, if we can do the developers and the nonprofits and small businesses. Why can't we also do the large enterprise? And that's how we really started to do this. And so, you know, when you have that vision and you have those web spammers making believe in the death penalty, it makes recruiting that employee a little bit easier or, or, or getting a customer, a prospect to actually try your service because they have a real pain point. And so Find something meaningful because it helps you carry you through all the low points.
1: But talk about those sacrifices. Uh, you know, what, what do you go through as an entrepreneur? And you mentioned the four years being really tough. But obviously, you know, even this year with having to deal with COVID and other, other challenges, you know, the global economy, what goes through your mind?
0: Yeah, I mean that's highs and lows like ten times a day, and now they're highs and lows, but they're much more spread out, uh, maybe weeks apart. So, so, it makes it much more stronger foundation, which is great, which is what you want as a business. You want the highs and the lows to be more spread out, um, and so I think that's I I, t- I think that's a sign of maturity as an organization. The best part of my job are the people I get to work with. I mean, it is such an honor to have a, have a team of people around the world who, you know, care, showing up. You know, our mission is to help build a better internet by helping our customers be faster, safer, and more reliable. And it's just, it doesn't matter how good you are. You're going to need a team. And I just, I am, I've had a lot of jobs in my life where I wouldn't have said that, but at Cloudflare, like literally the best part of my job are the people I get to work with. They are so committed. They care so much. They're ex, they teach me so much like, and, and, and vice versa. I think I teach them and we are all there to say, Hey, let's go execute on this vision. Again, this big, meaningful problem. Um, the second best part of my job are our customers because we're solving their problems. We're solving a meaningful problem for them. And so they tell you when you're doing a good job and, you know, when you're working really hard and someone says, Hey, that I really love your service. That's like, it's almost like the adrenaline you need to get through the next challenge or, or they tell you when, Hey, you really fell short here. And that's always hard to hear, but it's good to hear. Cause then you can get back up and, and make it better. And so, you know, I always feel like our customers are rooting for our success. It's, they're like, you're solving real problems for us. Go do more. Please solve more of my problems for me. And I love that your team is so great to work with. And so, I, again, if you're an entrepreneur starting or wanting to start, or even if you're a big company thinking, hey, how do I partner with a smaller company? I I do think the people first aspect is huge. And and then, you know, whether you're a startup or a large company, you want to partner um, and, and have happy customers on either side of the, on the coin. And at the end of the day, that really matters a lot. It's incredible. And
1: I think that that focus on vision and values is really what defines companies that that succeed ultimately from ones that don't. And I look at 2009 So many companies emerged to do great things, but I found that it was the leaders that had clear vision solving a big problem, but also the sense of values that made sure that when they had to make a decision that was like probably a big one and tested their ethics and their morals and where they're at, they made the right decision and that allowed them to continue to scale and gain trust in the community.
0: Yeah, no, I think you said that really well. I've been saying it more recently than normal, but it turns out leadership matters. And so it's, you know, whether you're an executive at a big company or startup, it's like people are noticing where leadership really matters and sets you apart. And and part of that is the values that you mentioned and making consistent decisions and following through and how you act and and how you communicate and how you treat people. I mean, these things all all matter. And I actually think that's a good thing. That gives me hope for the future where those things do matter. I want to live in a world where those things matter.
1: It's incredible. So the concept of the future digital citizen really leans on leadership that matters. Where do people start when they want to become a better leader as a digital citizen in the future?
0: I think actually what Hadi is doing at code.org, Hadi Partovi is a credible tech founder and executive who's built many amazing um, companies and been part of many amazing companies. He started something called code.org. And it's uh it's basically kind of ever giving anybody, and I mean like literally anybody, like my mother, my 10-year-old 10, 10 niece to myself have done their one-hour online coding course. And it's just, you don't have to be a professional coder or developer, but just understanding it and being like, oh, wow, I can do this and learning what it means and whatnot. And so what Hadi has done at code.org with both people taking the, the programming and schools, I mean, he's really helped um expose what I think when people say what is writing code, they don't even know what it is. Like he's basically kind of helps demystify it and make it accessible and it's free and anyone can do it for the first hour. And even, you know, they can basically have some like AP, like advanced um computer science high school classes that they can put people through for a really very economically traffic, traffic um, business case. So I think, you know, people like you, Dan, talking about it, showcasing it, I think it's services like code.org that, again, is accessible to anyone, young or old, to just be like, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to tell you when I'm doing it. And then, if you like it, next time you see your friends at dinner, you can say, Hey, I did this really cool thing called code.org. And I was able to re- build this thing. You're like, You should try it. And if you want to do it together, or come over and let's do it together instead of baking together or crocheting together, let's do a code.org class together. And so, I think things like that um, are places along the way. And of course, then there's you know, the fortunes and, and, you know, medium posts and, you know, fortune magazine does a lot of great content. Harvard business review writes a lot about this. So there's also the traditional media publications where I think there's a lot of great content for leaders to say, Oh, that's how I used to do it. And here's where it's going. Here's where the ball is going. Or, or as a, I'm a Canadian, what Wayne Gretzky would say is skate to where the puck is going. And I think resources like Harvard business review and fortune magazine and other, reputable organizations like that can help you go to where the puck is going.
1: Well, it sounds like the puck is going in the future where everyone needs to be a digital citizen and be educated on things like security. And Cloudflare is a great solution for that. So really appreciate you sharing your story and uh, sharing your insights. This was uh, so exciting. Thanks again, Michelle.
0: Thanks so much for having me.
1: Take care. On the next episode of Decoding Digital... It's funny, there are founders that, like, can see the world 10, 20, 30 years out or have this like really potent personal vision that they spend a lifetime kind of imposing on the universe. Uh, we did not fit in that category. Co-founder of WePay and innovator at J.P. Morgan Chase, Rich Aberman. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast player of choice. Thanks for listening to Decoding Digital. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast player. To learn more, visit DecodingDigital.com. Until next time.